Hello, 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 and welcome back, Renegade Nation. It's me, Naughty Nicole, naughty as ever, and it's time for another Renegade Review. And this time around, well, we're going to be focusing on the frivolity that is La La Land. Now, I'll admit that up until that most epic of Oscar faux pas, I had absolutely no inclination to ever see La La Land. In fact, it looked pretty trivial to me. And I'll be honest, I have no inclination to watch Moonlight either. But, you know, since the Hollywood elites are patting themselves on the back, I thought maybe we should probably see what all their fuss is all about, right? Sure, why not? But I have to admit, the shine is coming off of La La Land. There have been various marginalized communities, women, African Americans, and jazz lovers, who have all emerged to take this film down a couple of pegs. And what ensued was an all-out war, waged mostly on Twitter, between fans and the movie's detractors. Well, it might seem odd that a movie as guileless and nostalgic as La La Land, which pretty much gets its inspiration from classic musicals like Singing in the Rain or The Umbrellas of Sherbarg, has provoked such ire. But this is a pop cultural world that we live in, so you know what? What the hell? Obviously, Twitter wasn't that busy that day. Every piece of art is now politicized and parsed for its problematic elements. These complaints may take some of the joy out of the film intended only to entertain you, but they also reveal vital perspectives that have been hidden for far too long from our white male-dominated discourse. Now, of course, it has snappy songs and brightly colored clothes and a virtuosic filmmaking, which is diverting enough that the film's persistence in entertaining you is absolutely moving. For the millions of Americans out there who are depressed or anxious about the state of the nation, La La Land is a trivality that exists merely because of our desperate need for distraction at this time. But not all of us are in the mood for such flights of fancy. The film's lead character, Sebastian, who's played by Ryan Gosling, is a young, barely employed jazz lover who dreams of opening his own club. He is the absolute traditionalist who harbors dreams of saving jazz by returning it back to its roots. Later, however, he sells out and agrees to perform in a jazz fusion band, which is led by his friend Keith, who's portrayed by John Legend. Mia, who's portrayed by Emma Stone, is an actress working as a barista at a cafe on the Warner Brothers lot who basically fails at every audition she tries, and she's trying to make a name for herself by writing, financing, and performing in a one-woman show. And her biggest audition in the entire movie involves a solo performance of her mo- of a monologue of her own making for a starring role in a movie that has no script and will, as the casting agent tells her, be built around her. Now, of course, Sebastian and Mia are the love interests and eventually their paths cross and cross and cross again, all seemingly by chance. First, at the tail end of the opening scene, which takes place in a traffic jam on the freeway. 
Mia's rehearsing at her steering wheel of her Prius, blocking Sebastian's way in his classic Detroit 60s or 70s convertible. He honks, she gives him the finger, and, well, the rest is pretty much inevitable. But even before they've met, the director has slathered this movie with his coercive version of charm. A massive dat sequence for the for the drivers stuck on the freeway. They all emerge from their vehicles, both young and old alike, to leap and twirl between and atop cars in one gliding and swiveling long take. It's beautiful. The shot remains, for the most part, mostly at eye level, and it doesn't convey any of the delights or aspirations of the dancers in relation to the setting, so much as a conspicuous labor of rehearsal and execution that kept everyone in order and in place throughout the number and used the camera to cram it all in. Yeah, it was tedious. The big production numbers, aside from the freeway jam, is a gruff to gentle pas de deux for Mia and Sebastian beneath the streetlights and a very splashily colorful jazz ballet in front of a conspicuously painted and lighted and silhouette shaded theatrical backdrop. They are all studious, full of effort, and rehearsed to death and pretty much personality free and they lack one essential factor, wonder. The director strives to impress and to wow you and to dazzle, but he ends up closing off the imagination rather than opening it. The one thing that the director seems to have very little interest in is life. He turns Mia into an absolute nobody, giving her absolutely nothing whatsoever to talk about. The experience that she discusses with Sebastian is of her aunt, who was an actress, who, she says, introduced her to classic movies, citing Casablanca, Bringing Up Baby, and Notorious. She mentions mentions having dropped off or dropped out of college to pursue her dream in Los Angeles, and that's pretty much it. Scenes of me and Sebastian together are focused mostly, almost exclusively, on the action at hand. Their dates are simply mainly in a montage that features absolutely no dialogue. And at a disastrous dinner out with her boyfriend, Greg, who is played by Finn Whitrock, she sits silent. As for her one-woman show, the director had the opportunity of giving us an actual look into her life. He doesn't offer more than maybe a phrase or two, except perhaps in the abstracted form of a song that Mia delivers at a key moment, and it's all about her aunt. So we really don't learn anything. And yes, Mia writes and produces and stages her one-woman show at a theater, but there's no interest in the vitality or the conflict or the fascinating details of that process. There's nothing about her working with others on it, whether it be a stage director or a lighting technician. There's nothing. And when Mia visits her family in Boulder City, there's no family life whatsoever that you can see. Mia isn't so much a fully developed three-dimensional character, but more of an ornament, or a symbol of a kind of dream and a kind of success. She's empty and shallow, leaving her to be filled solely by the personality and talent of Stone. Even working with such thin material, Emma Stone infuses events with candied inspiration as when she's flirting with Sebastian when he's playing keyboards, wearing a cheesy costume 
in a cheesy cover band at a pool party when she delivers the movie's liveliest and probably the most authentic moment by lip-syncing to the song, I Ran. As for Sebastian, he does talk, incessantly, mostly about his obsession with classic jazz from the 20s through the 50s or possibly the early 60s. No clue, because he just talks and talks and talks. He's stuck playing piano in a restaurant where he's ordered by the boss to play a set list of Christmas tunes when he really wants to play his own style of music. The height of artistic and cinematic simplicity arrives in a scene that's pretty much staged as a revelation. Mia tells Sebastian that she hates jazz, complaining that in her hometown a jazz station was used as background music for parties and everyone pretty much talked while it was playing. Sebastian, of course, is determined to introduce her to the real thing, and he immediately takes her to a club where a quintet is playing. And after the first few notes are heard, he launches into an elaborate mansplanation of the origins and merits of jazz, talking articulately and never-ending as if it were nothing but the local background station. Truthfully, it's tedious and annoying at best. The movie's big plot involves Sebastian's unhappiness at good fortune. He's approached by that old friend named Keith, who offers him $1,000 a week plus a few juicy extras to play keyboards with him, go on tour, and join his, his band in their record deals for a major label. It's not that pure acoustic bop-centered jazz, and it would require Sebastian to play electric keyboards and to back Keith's singing, and it doesn't really give Sebastian a lot of solo space, but with mixed motives and mixed emotion, he joins, and obviously the gig causes trouble between him and Mia. The music that the group makes isn't exactly bad. It's not exactly great, but it's pleasant enough. The scene in which Sebastian's new gig threatens to come between him and Mia is probably one of the better scenes in the movie. She attends a concert by the band, and the house is packed. Sebastian's in the spotlight playing a brief solo. Then Keith starts to sing, and the audience goes crazy. That's when the backup singers come out. They start to sing. Four dancers take the stage in front of Sebastian. He plays a keyboard that lights up when he plays it. And the audience is just wild for it. And Mia looks around, pretty much in bewilderment, as if she's asking, these people are really enjoying this, am I supposed to be enjoying this too? Because she is seeing exactly how far Sebastian has sold out from his own dream. And honestly, it was exactly how I felt watching this movie. One myth around the praise of La La Land is that it represents some sort of a return of the musical to relevance. The truth is, great modern musicals aren't hard to find. In fact, the genre continues to spark directorial imagination and achievement. There's more verve in the musical parodies of Popstar than in this strenuous emptiness and forced whimsy and programmed emotion of La La Land. And quite truthfully, Hollywood is, well, once again, patting itself on the back when in truth, this movie was really nothing to write home about. And I'm going to say, as I end this, that I do adore Emma Stone. I think she is a phenomenal actress. I just don't feel that this movie put her in the best light. 
Although I praise her for her doing an exemplary job when the director gave her basically nothing to work with. All right, Renegade Nation, that's the show for today. Catch us next time. And hey, if you like this review or if you have a comment, don't forget to let us know. And if you've got a show, a movie, or a book that you want one of us to review, hey, let us know. I'm not saying that we're going to do it, but you know you should at least let us know so we can make fun of you and mock you on the air. See you next time, Renegade Nation, with Renegade Reviews here on Renegade Talk Radio.